He had lost the page. She had been so careful to mark it for him. So he began at the very beginning and turned the pages carefully. On the early pages, the once black ink had faded over the centuries to a dull brown, and it was a difficult task to make out the letters. He came to the place where the fresh ink was coal black and the edges of the letters still crisp, and the writings were in the familiar hand of the woman who lay dead on the small bed. There, he read slowly and carefully, to be sure he understood everything clearly, but he wanted very much to do it all just right when the time came. She had told him there would come a task for him, one that would require much from him, and that everything he needed to know could be found in the book. The task would come to him, she'd said, because it had not come to her, although she could not say just when it would happen. He hoped with all his heart that he would find the courage and strength to carry out his part in the same way she would have. He glanced up at the eyes in the window and nodded very slightly. In unison, the watchers repeated his gesture, acknowledging their complicity. It was something, he thought. He prayed it would be enough. April 2005 Just as Janie Crow was closing in on contentment, something went clunk in the machinery of the world, and everything ground to a painful halt. Don't you think it's ironic, said the woman in the airplane seat next to her, her voice nasally distorted by the small speaker in her protective mask, that it was something so simple. I mean, think of all the cataclysmic possibilities. It could have been a nuclear accident, a comet landing on the Earth, or some terrorist group with a truckload of chemical weapons. But no, nothing dramatic like that. It was just a stupid bacteria. Go figure, Janie replied dryly. When would this pain-in-the-ass woman run out of stories about all the disagreeable things that had happened to her since the outbreaks and stop her pissing and moaning? Janie decided that if she was subjected to a continuation after the lunch break, she would interject a few of her own favourite outbreak anecdotes. The woman's tales of inconvenience were sure to seem trivial in comparison. The plane bumped its way across the Atlantic, heading for London. A steward walked slowly down the aisle and gave a small square box of a nutritional supplement to each of the plane's passengers. Another steward followed close behind him, passing out what the airlines called sterile intake devices, a medically correct euphemism for what were once called plastic straws. She shook her head and sighed, thinking how things always seemed to change, and that the changes were seldom pleasant. She glanced over at her suddenly silent seatmate, who was slipping one end of the straw through a rubber hole in the base of her sterile mask. Good, Janie thought. That'll keep you quiet for a while. You don't know how lucky you are, lady. If you'd started in on me again, I might have to tell you my own troubles. Like how I used to be a surgeon, a good one, and how I used to have a wonderful family, but they're all gone now. And how I was forced by an unsympathetic bureaucracy to be retrained for something else, and I'm middle-aged and alone and I'm back in school again. 
The plane's passengers stood in line outside the customs area at Heathrow Airport. Janie looked up at the mezzanine for the hundredth time since the passengers from her flight had gotten into this line and made a detailed visual examination of the green-suited biocop who'd been standing there, barely moving, holding his chemical rifle in the same ready position for the last two hours. It was pointed directly at the waiting line of incoming passengers, and it never wavered. After three hours in line, Janie finally reached a customs agent, a stony-faced, middle-aged man who smelled of garlic and behaved as if he was in need of a strong antacid. What a pissy job, Janie thought to herself, and considered momentarily that slightly less luck in the medical reassignment lottery might have forced her into something like customs work. She was suddenly more appreciative of her situation. At least she would be using some of her original surgical skills in her new work when she completed her forensics certification. The business she would attend to on this trip to London was the last piece needed before she could start the final application process, and when her certification application was accepted, it would mark the beginning of a new life, one cleansed of all reminders of her old life. One by one, the cracked pieces of the person Janie Crow once was were being replaced by the sound pieces of the person Janie Crow would soon be. Her group was waved forward to a long table, where her luggage and boxes were lined up for inspection. An agent asked her, What is the purpose of your visit? I'm here to do some scientific research, an archaeological dig. What is the purpose of this research? I'm completing certification for forensic archaeology. The agent examined the contents of her suitcases. In his examination of her toiletries pack, he took out a small bottle of acetaminophen and set it aside, completely apart from the other confiscated items. What's the problem with the acetaminophen? Janie asked. Available only with a prescription here, he said. Aspirin and ibuprofen, too. After her personal luggage was finally cleared, the agent opened the box containing Janie's digging equipment. He poked around for a few minutes while Janie held her breath and watched. A laser scanning machine was passed directly over the table and the items laid out there. Janie watched and whispered to herself, Please don't let the buzzer go off. Please don't find anything. And blessedly, nothing showed up. No uncatalogued bacteria, no parasites, no fungi or viruses. Janie thought she was home free, but the examiner decided to prolong her agony by asking some questions about the unusual assortment of tools. He pointed, and she answered. Surveying equipment. Micrometer? Biosafe storage bags, protective eyewear, biosafe gloves, soil plugger. Finally, he said, Well, that's all, I think. You can take your things through that door over there. He pointed to his left. You can join the queue for your medical clearance. Janie was waiting again, but this time the line seemed to move more quickly. She peered forward around the people in line, and watched wearily as traveller after traveller presented his papers to the examiner, 
then held out his right wrist. The gloved examiner passed the wrist quickly under a bright blue light to disinfect it, then placed the entire hand into an opening in the front of a small computer. Finally, it was Janie's turn. The examiner said, Passport, please. He flipped through the pages and entered some of the information from her passport into a computer, and a screen with her health and travel history appeared almost instantly. Thank you, miss, the man said. May I please have your wrist? She unbuttoned her sleeve and held out her right wrist. The examiner then took her arm and placed it in the CompuDoc machine's opening. The disinfecting light was surprisingly cool. A flexible metallic clamp closed in on her wrist, adjusting itself automatically to fit her specific size and shape. Once she was secured, the examiner pressed a few buttons. All set now, he said, and Janie tensed up as she felt the vibration of the current passing through her flesh. It was over in a second, and the man said, Should be just a moment for the readout. A piece of paper emerged silently from a slot at the base of the machine's front panel. The examiner tore it off and scanned it quickly. He smiled and said, Healthy as a horse. All your proper immunizations, no infectious diseases. Then he grinned wickedly and said, And you're not pregnant. She glared back at him as the clamp on her wrist automatically loosened. Asshole, she thought. You know perfectly goddamn well I've been sterilized. It's right there on that screen. The examiner stamped Janie's entry papers and handed them back to her. You're all set here, he said. Follow the yellow stripe to the exit. Her group of passengers moved away from the medical clearance area and began gathering their belongings. Suddenly, loud, angry voices came from the area they'd just cleared, and everyone looked back to see a young man struggling with the machine, trying to get his wrist free. The examiner advised the people in line to move away from that CompuDoc, and led them to one of the empty ones Janie had noticed earlier. When the area was safely cleared, the examiner spoke into a walkie-talkie and stepped back himself. Soon four walls slid up through the floor of the examination area, enclosing the CompuDoc and its protesting captive, who would remain there until Biocops came to take him away for a more detailed examination. The doctor ignored the young man's pleas. Next, he said, and a nervous-looking woman stepped forward to the adjacent machine. Cervere, Aragon, 1348 Alejandro Canches wiped the beads of sweat off his brow with a muddy arm, leaving a dark smear of dirt across his forehead. As his apprentice looked down from the edge of the hole, nervously vigilant against unwanted discoverers, the physician Canches took up the shovel and began once again to thrust it rhythmically through the soil. The hole deepened, and the pile grew higher, until finally the tip of the shovel struck something solid. He quickly tossed the shovel aside and called to the boy to jump into the pit with him. 
Using only their hands, they shoved the dirt away frantically, hoping that they'd finally reached the wooden box, the ultimate goal in their clandestine effort. Together, they exposed a small section of the box's surface. Alejandro probed with his fingers along the edge until he located a crack. He picked up the shovel and forced it into the narrow space. Then he gave a mighty push downward on the handle of the shovel, and the top came loose with a loud crack. They yanked the top free. Alejandro grabbed the body, inching it upward. Once it cleared the top of the pit, he slid it sideways and laid it down on undisturbed ground. Panting from exertion, Alejandro lay back for a moment to catch his breath. When he could speak again, he patted the dirty corpse with something not unlike affection, and said, So, Señor Carlos Alderon, my departed friend, we meet again. I have looked forward to this meeting. He leaned forward so his face was near the corpse's head, and whispered, and before I put you back into the earth, I swear to you on the bones of my own ancestors that I will know what killed you. Alejandro had known this man and had treated him for his final torturous malady with a lack of success that he regretted bitterly. Still panting beside the shrunken corpse, Alejandro remembered the day when the big man had appeared at his door, cap in hand, seeking treatment for his frightening symptoms. Carlos had been visibly nervous, not knowing the proper behavior for such a situation. It was forbidden for Jewish physicians to give medical treatment to any Christian. Alejandro had reasons to be wary of this type of association as well. Though the Jews were not treated especially well in the town of Cervere, they were tolerated without undue malice. Alejandro's wealthy and successful family was well regarded within the Jewish community, and he was hesitant to jeopardize their position by engaging in forbidden activities. Despite Alejandro's apprehension, he welcomed Carlos, and resolved to give the big man his best effort. He tried every known treatment for lung maladies, but nothing worked. He'd rolled a parchment and placed one end of the tube on the man's chest, as he had been taught to do, then listened at the other end. What he heard was terribly puzzling to him, for one of Alderon's lungs sounded clear, while the air wheezed and whined in and out of the other one. Alejandro began to suspect that one of the lungs held something that the other did not, but could not confirm his suspicion except by looking into the man's chest.